Hey there, folks. We're kicking off today's episode with a cup of tea from the Nepal Tea Collective. Nepal Tea is a social enterprise based in New York that distributes the freshest organically grown teas to different parts of the world directly from smallholder farmers in the beautiful country of, you guessed it, Nepal. You can join us for a cup of tea and be part of the global impact they're creating by visiting nepalteacollective.com. That's nepalteacollective.com. <laughs> Yikes, my cup of tea is already getting cold. So why don't you join me and hop into today's episode? Forever on the move. Forever setting trends. Forever doing that which they say cannot be done. G-Money is a man that lives up to his motto. As a UK-born, Jamaican-rooted, and Kenyan-bred international DJ, radio host, and event extraordinaire, G-Money has a lifetime of experience building communities around the prevailing sounds of a generation. In this episode, we explore how a multicultural upbringing and a life of travel have shaped and birthed the media personality we know today, as well as the never-before-heard experiences and life stories that made him who he is today. In this profound and fascinating conversation, G-Money opens up like never before, threading a hilarious, colorful, and rich story of his never-ending journey in pursuit of craft excellence. Some know him as a radio personality. Others know him for bringing in some of the world's biggest acts to perform in Kenya, and others know him as a friend or colleague. Join us in the boardroom to deconstruct the man behind the legend. Should you enjoy this episode and want to find out more about the work that G-Money does, catch him and his colleagues at the Mics Are Open podcast. All right, let's hop into the show. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whoever you are, wherever you are. Welcome to the Boardroom Banter podcast. You're joining myself, Sean Karanja, Mr. Boniface Omina, and a special guest who we shall get into and, and dig into who they are, what their story is all about. But before we get the quick hello from Boniface. Boniface is joining us from a side of Nairobi that is currently dark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we, we currently, we can only see his smile and, and a bit of his glasses, but um, the show must go on. So, uh, Bonnie, how's how, how's everything going? What's what's happening? We could see you a few minutes ago. <laughs> now we can't. <laughs> no, I think you put it quite well. Uh, the show must go on. Some of the challenges of my neighborhood at the moment is electricity. So power just went out literally two minutes before we began the recording. Uh, yeah, Jimani was a bit scared. You know, he thought something was about to go down here today. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. I was like, who is this guy? Like. Like hooded and masked up, like he's, <laughs> like is it that late? But yeah, feeling really good and happy to be here. I've been really looking forward to to this specific conversation for about two years now, ever since we began the wow. podcast. Um, I I I'll give a bit more detail into that. Oh, there the the lights just came back. There you go. It's been all day. The, the light is the, back. <laughs> you're the lucky charm here today, G. So one of the largest contributions that our guest actually had to this podcast is in the quality of our microphones. Back when we were just starting out, um, I remember that 
you know, we either had to borrow mics from different people or, <laughs> and especially in my case, at some point I bought this super fake made in China, barely working, super cheap uh, microphone. And needless to say, it worked terribly. And so our guest today, an absolute legend when it comes to all things media, sound, etc. He made some pretty great recommendations and we took his advice and our quality has never been the same again. And before we dig into that, uh, Boniface, tell us tell us a bit about this guest because you in particular, um, Yuri as well, have been really excited to to host him today. Yeah. Maybe you can tell us why and who this mystery guy is. He's been talking in the background, like people are hearing him wondering, like like who's that that guy? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So a couple of years ago, when I when I first stepped into the event space, I was doing I was doing house parties in my parents' house. They were away. Um, they found out when I started doing podcasts, I started talking about it. <laughs> but um, when I started getting to the event scene and learning a bit more about what's going on in the media space as well is where is when I stumbled across um, this gentleman's work. And so he has over a decade of broadcast management experience. Um, if you if you guys listen to Homeboys Radio, you may have heard have heard him there. But you know he definitely does not need any introduction for for people currently living in Nairobi and especially those who are like Yuri and I who spend a lot of time in the nightlife in the event space. Some of you might may know him as the dance hall ambassador. You know, he likes to refer to himself as a part-time troublemaker. And his work in the music industry spans artist management, tour management, concert production. And he has definitely left an indelible mark in this country's event scene, not just here, but internationally as well. So without further ado, G Money, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, man? How you guys doing? Doing good, feeling nice. Happy to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Um, as I was saying before we started, that um it's important for us to have podcasts of relevance and not just relevance, but you know, who talk about like important stuff like careers and movements and, and progress in life. So I'm happy to be here. Definitely. It's our absolute honor to be hosting you. Um, we value not, not only your experience in this space, but, you know, some of the insights that that leads to. And one of the things that really stood out for us was just how willing you are to, you know, give us advice. Um, Yuri had reached out to you and, you know, has in his capacity as podcast manager, you know, we've also seen the growth that he's had from some of the um, learnings that, you know, you've been giving as, as a mentor in that capacity. So we definitely see you, you know, leaving the ladder behind you to those of us who are trying to create influence um, in the digital media space. So mm. quick shout out and, you know, we're gonna, we, we must give you your flowers for that. Um, but I'm, I'm going to leave it to you, right? Um, one of the things that, you know, maybe someone who's listening might might know the name, but not know the face, might not know the story. And one interesting way that I observed you describe yourself is someone who's forever on the move, forever setting trends, forever doing that which they say cannot be done. Wow. Give us an insight into who you are, G-Money. Um, 
what's your Ooh. what's your quick you know if, if if a random girl on the street bumped into you and said hey g money like i know you but not really know you like what what right. do you do what's your life's work you know what, what are you right. all about man That's, it's interesting that like you guys have 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 got all of these quotes and all of these things that i probably have said at some point um <laughs> we wouldn't expose yeah, you <laughs> I, I like that one that one was that one that was about you know doing the things that people can't say cannot be done i like that uh, i'm gonna use that one tomorrow so um basically for me um i'm just someone who's just so blessed man i know everyone always say god man it's like but for me in my own life i'm just so blessed to be able to have spent my entire life doing the things that i enjoy doing like i've always been able to just wake up and just do the thing that I love doing, whether it's radio, whether it's DJing, whether it's doing events, whether it's mentorship, whatever it is that I, I um, want to do. I've, I've lived the life of just being able to do what I want to do. Um, as, a, as a human, uh, how would I describe myself? I'd say, to, I'd say that I still believe in the, in the innate goodness in people. And I do believe that no matter how dark and how crazy we are, whatever time we're living in, there's still an innate level of goodness that we need to to tap into as as humans that's my my life mantra like you know uh, over my career i've i've been fortunate enough to interact with people who who have been told that they can't do it and being able to 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 show them that they can so i think my life is a life of a life of service a life of mentorship a life of um some sometimes stress but it's a life that's just been so free and i'm thankful that i wake up in the morning and i'm like yo like you've just been doing this for your entire life that's crazy jimani your answer your answer picks a lot of interest and mm. i think specifically you know when we hear people who speak about life from such a retrospective angle like you like you have it definitely speaks to some of the experiences that have really shaped your current perspective on life your mindset your values, mm. who you are, your character, and more specifically, your work as well. And right. that's something that we've noticed very consistently with our guests, right? We we hit our 100th episode in the beginning of this month. Um, we're recording this in May. And you know, we've really been going back and looking at the trends in the stories, the trends in the experiences, and the trends in how different guests come onto this platform and share their story, right? And one aspect that I'd be very curious to understand, Jimani, is some of the child early childhood experiences that shaped who you are, right? Either the communities, environments, um, we've noticed there's an aspect of, you know, that's that's very consistent here on the podcast is that, mm. you know, our family setups, our, the places in which we lived and grew up in really had an impact on who we are as Sean Karan, right. as Juan Fesomina, as you, correct? I'd be very curious right. to understand what some of these are for you, Jimani, for us to for us to understand who you are today and the work that you do, what do we need to know about some of your early childhood experiences, communities, and environments? All right. Um, for me, um, well, I was born in London. I was born in Northwest London, a place called Harlesden, which was a very Caribbean, uh, very like, it was a little slice of the Caribbean in, in the UK. I grew up on a housing estate, the projects, as um, New Yorkers like to say, um, best times, best of times um, as a kid growing up on, on, on an estate, a council estate in London. I was raised by my grandmother. My, my mom died when I was four. So uh, my grandmother, to cut a long story short, 
she left Jamaica and came over and had to go through the whole legal processes to get custody of myself, my sister, and my brother. Um, and she stayed in, she stayed with us in the UK for like nine years. And then she was like, hey, it's too cold here. I'm taking y'all back to Jamaica. So that's how I began the second phase of my childhood. So my early childhood was in, in London, doing all of the regular stuff that, um, you know, a, a young black kid in London would be doing, you know. And then the second phase of my childhood was growing up in Jamaica, which was a completely different society. It was very, very different from London. Uh, I'm surrounded now by black people, who people who look just like me. And more importantly, I always give credit to the education system because now I was in a situation where I was being taught by people who look like me, people who are passionate about, about education and schooling young black minds. And I think for me, the most liberating thing that I went through, um, like, was my high school experience because, you know, that's where I learned that it was okay to go to school and it was okay to be brilliant. I'd always played down my ability while going to school in London because nobody liked the nerd. Everybody liked the joker. So I never really focused on, 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 on school. I mean, I'd get the A's and stuff because the only reason I'd get A's is because A, um, I didn't find it that challenging. And B, if as long as I got one A, my grandmother wouldn't be on my neck. So, but when I went to Jamaica, it was a completely 360. It was like, I was surrounded by people like, yeah, we're at school. We're at school here to win. We're at school to, to be top of class. And, and that competitive edge plus the approach of, of the teachers really changed my outlook on, on education and my outlook on life. Um, in terms of my environment, man, I grew up with love. Like I... I never struggled in that department. My parents loved me. My grandma had enough love for all of us. And um, again, living in Jamaica, I learned that love itself is not an ugly thing. Like it's not soft to, to really love the people that you're, you're around and the people that you interact with. So I think that's really informed my, my, my life as a human. Like I tried to put out, I try to put out the best energy out there and it's not always, um, it's not always possible and you don't do it because you expect to receive it. You do it because it's the right thing to do. So yeah, I think that's my, my childhood was broken into two, half of it in the UK, half of it in Jamaica, but it gave me a rounded outlook on life. So let's, let's dig into career choices now. So you've given us a bit of background on, you know, your attitude towards excellence. So it sounds like the concept of excellence started to be normalized and even encouraged and, um, you know, when we, when we interact with your work now, we, we get that understanding that, hey, this is someone who's, you know, it looks like you've been a grinder from day one. Um, how did that translate and that attitude of excellence translate into your early career? So what, mm. what were you up to, like, after school? Right. You know, what did that look like? And how did you find right. yourself on this side of the world? Right. Um, so I... I didn't go to university. I, I stopped at high school because, um, A, when I was going back to university, I was going back to the UK. And I would have been 17, 18, having the time of my life living in Jamaica, not wanting to go back to, to live in the UK. But, you know, parents are like, you're going to go to school in, in Britain. So my grandma sorted me out, sent me back. And I was like, mm, nah, I ain't going to school. So I didn't, I didn't actually, uh, I think I dropped out after like two weeks. Um, in terms of how that time in my life was, it was a very confusing time because um, 
I wasn't doing anything. I was just home. Uh, I, I don't smoke or drink uh, now. I did then. Uh, and I was just home smoking and drinking, smoking and drinking, smoking and drinking. It was a very dark period because, you know, you've been taken out of the safety of being at home. You're now living with relatives in the UK. Everyone's going to work nine to five. Everyone's in the rat race. It was a very confusing time. And um, the first six months of going back to London, I don't even remember them. I would, I don't even, they would, that's how bad it was. You're in a place you don't want to be. You're, in you're in an area that you didn't grow up in you don't know anyone so it was just very dark and um after that what happened was i remember um when i was doing economics and you know even though i was in jamaica i was always a foreign kid and um my my teacher there was a module called this is how you look for a job and it was literally writing a cover letter sending your cv stuff that's so basic but it was actually a module in the course. And I remember sitting in the house in, and I said, you know, what? I'm going to look for a job. And I wrote four jobs in my entire life. I wrote four job letters. And traditionally, you know, Caribbean and African folk in the UK, you either worked in the health sector, the transport sector, the utility sector, or the, there was one more. Uh, there was, oh, the post office. There you go. You either worked in the post office, in the, in the NHS, London transport, or or electricity or gas or something. So I wrote four letters to each of, one letter to each of those utilities. And uh, luckily enough, I got a reply from London transport. Now this is the company that runs the bus um, network in, in London. And uh, they said, um, we do have a job and it's in our department that's called London transport advertising. So I was like, okay. Sounds like interesting. And I remember I went for the interview and I always mentioned this guy's name is a white guy called Stephen Watts. He said to me, yeah, you're the same age as my son. Really jovial man, really, really, you know, happy but stern. And I remember going for the interview and he had this really funny coat stand in his, um, in his office. One of those funny, funny, ornate coat stands. I took off my coat. And he goes, you can hang up over there. And I hung up. Like, he goes, ah, most people don't know how to use that coat stand. Okay, that's your initiative test done. And I'm like, okay, this guy is a bit weird. And then um, he said, yeah, he looked for me. He said, um, you know, I asked, there was a Jamaican um, typist at the time, you know, typist. We had typists in those days. There was a Jamaican typist who worked in the office. And he said to me, I've asked Becky about your school in Jamaica. You went to a really good school. I'm like, yeah, it was pretty decent. He goes, okay, I'm going to give you this chance and start work. Monday, I'm like, wow, okay. That's all it took to get a job. And um, I began working at London Transport Advertising, which was such a good fit because we were the department that were, were responsible for billboards and advertising on the buses and advertising on the train stations and all that stuff. So I was out of the office 90% of the time meeting clients and looking for new sites and then sitting in the odd uh, strategy meeting. So for a 19 year old, it was like, it was perfect. Like I was never in the office. Um, I was there for six years. It, as every organization does, it changes. And um, when they were going through the restructuring of, of, of London transport, we fell into, we were moved into another department with a different boss who 
you know, was gassed up. You know, it's like when you move from somebody who's really nurturing you as a human being, and then they're suddenly moved into another role and you're reporting someone else and the person you're reporting to is a complete jerk. So, um, yeah, my time began to wind down there because I don't really thrive in, in toxic environments. And um, the new guy was an autocrat, but he was also very useless. And um, suffice it to say, in those days, I was a bit feisty. So there were times when it would kick off in the office and I've never had that mentality of, and I guess it's my Caribbean background. I've never had that mentality that you can speak to me anyhow you feel like you want to speak to me because you happen to be in charge. I don't, I don't play that. I will tell anybody. I, and to this day, even where I work now, there was like this crazy guy. Like, I, I don't care. I'm not, um, I'm not rude or I'm not overly aggressive or I'm not um, a guy who's always spoiling for, for a fight or drama, but you know, I put my, I put my all into what I do and I expect the basic respect and I, I won't take anything less than that, you know? Um, so that was the early days, um, working in London transport. Um, how did I end up here? Oh, uh, wow. So I worked for London transport for about six years then I got fed up. I, I left the job. I quit on the spot, went to work one day, switched on the computer. I was like, I am not doing this no more. Wrote my resignation there and then. It wasn't the first time I've written a resignation on the spot. And um, left uh, left after two days. Didn't have a plan. Went back to Jamaica for a few weeks, five, six weeks. Went back and said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to work in a record shop and sell music. And um, yeah, that was it. Because I've always loved music. Music has always been my, my, my thing. So... I thought there couldn't be a cooler job than sell, selling um, music. So I worked in a record shop, very famous record shop in Brixton. It was called Red Records. And then one day, the, I was there for about two years. One day, the owner, the owner came to me and said, oh, yeah, i got some very important people coming to see the shop. Like, you know, we're going to get some additional funding from a bank. Could you, like, clear out the back of the stockroom? And I was like, yeah, of course, team player. And, you know, I spent the whole day cleaning the back of the, of the shop and in the back of a record shop. There's records everywhere out of sleeves. There's, it's dusty. It's like, cause you're such a quick moving environment. So I cleaned that, I cleaned the toilets. Cause yeah, we got somebody coming in to assess the business. I cleaned everything. That very evening, that man gave me my uh, dismissal letter after I'd cleaned the entire, the entire no back of, yes, he did. And he was like, you know, um, Last in, first out. So you, you're, you're the most recent member of staff. We're, oh, man. we're downsizing. And I was like, you son of a bitch. And I was like, okay. So he says, um, you know, you, two weeks notice, you can either work them out or we'll just pay you instead. I'm like, yeah, yeah, just pay me. It's cool. So I left that. I went to Jamaica. Again, whenever it's a, it's a, it's a factor in my life that whenever life got crazy, I'd always go home. And I um, went home and I sat in Jamaica and said, you know what? I am going to open my own record shop and I'm going to open it down the road, literally down the road from that guy's shop. So I went back to London, found a space, teamed up with a, another record shop called um, Black Adred. He had, a, he had, a, he had a, um, a smaller space that was empty. I said, nah, we can turn this into something. And that other shop was known for reggae music. So I opened like, a hip hop mixtape, 
CDs and stuff. The shop was called CD Link. And because I was a radio personality, a pirate radio personality, I was able to talk about the shop on air and tell guys I got the latest mixtape. So it sort of became like a focal hangout spot. Everything that the other guy in the other shop wanted his shop to be, we created in our shop. So like, you know, we'd open later than he did. And there was a whole like, like there's a lot of Jamaican restaurants and food. So like it was, it was probably in the hood, but it was such a cool place to work at that time. So we quickly became one of the most popular shops. In fact, I think the best feeling I ever had was when the guy who sacked me had to come and buy stock from me because I had the latest stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he'd come down mm-hmm. and he'd say, yo, he'd be like, yo, do you have extra this, this? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And, you know, good heart, good faith. I felt good selling it to him. Do you know what I mean? Felt good selling him stuff. So that was that. I was at a record shop for, couldn't have been... Wow, when was that? I record shop for Time Flies, huh? I don't remember how long I did it for, but I do remember that at that time, I was also doing a lot of street team work for Def Jam Records and Sony Records. Uh, Shout out to DJ Semtex who put me on. Um, and Semtex was like, DJ Semtex was, is, has been one of the most pivotal figures uh, in my life because he was a DJ from Manchester, didn't know anyone in London, came down to London, set up the Sony Street team at Sony Records. Um, and he systematically went and met everyone who was doing it in the particular areas. And by that time, I had started a pirate station and my pirate station was killing it. So a pirate station is an illegal radio station. So I'd start an illegal radio station. Um, just, you know, you put a transmitter on the roof, you have two turntables, you just play music. And that's what the UK pirate scene was massive. How do you so broadcast Rather, so basically, how, yeah. it, how it works is, um, let's say that I have, or you have the studio where you are, then we use a thing called a microwave link, which sent the audio to a transmitter, maybe three, four miles away. And then at the site of the transmitter, same as it works now, you have a receiver. Uh, we used to use like satellite dish receivers, at LMB, that now converts that signal back into audio. It goes down through the LMB and goes back up now through the antennas to be broadcast um, um, on FM. So yeah, that was um, those were fun times, you know, dodging cops and you know getting your studios raided. And but you yeah. know the, the flip the flip side was I was now doing what I wanted to do because I've always wanted to do radio. So now now I'm working on radio, working on my own station, on my own rules. You know, I would. I would, you know, go and do my evening show at six o'clock, six, no, six till eight, then come back and close the shop and do the the, the finances and stuff. And um, when Semtex came into the picture, immediately we clicked. And um, he, you know, for those of you who are into hip hop, you'll probably know he's one of the top, top, top hip hop. He's even written a book about hip hop. He's one of the top hip hop guys globally. And um Semtex was so driven, man. I uh, is so driven, even to this day, so driven. Like he's always like looking for what's next. And and um, I mentioned him because he got me into the, the record labels. You know, the first time now you're going into record labels, you're you're meeting artists, you're meeting Lauren Hill, you're meeting Rihanna, you're meeting Beyonce, you're meeting all of these people at record labels. You're interviewing all these guys, and you know that, that filtered back to now you're a pirate station. Well, all of a sudden. 
yo, I'm listening to G Money because G Money's talking to to Wyclef, to 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 Destiny's Child, to Jagged Edge, to all of these rappers, all of these like Ludacris, Jarul, Ashanti. He's getting them to interview them on a pirate station. That's crazy. So um, so yeah, that was that was that. That was about I guess you, about. Go I've got a quick question there. Maybe maybe someone who doesn't know that technicalities around the difference between a pirate station and maybe a regular one that I guess would be more reputable. What, okay. what was the dynamic there? So so in that era, um, bear in mind, this is before um, the digital area. So this is before there was so much yeah. different. So, so we we know nothing about, we, <laughs> oh, okay. we, we, okay. we, let we me had not, yeah. <laughs> so let me, let me. We're the iPod guy, iPods right, and right. Okay. LimeWire. <laughs> LimeWire, yeah, LimeWire was a uh, was a thing. All right, so let me explain. Um, pirate radio was massive in the UK. Every city had five or six illegal radio stations, and the reason for this is um, the UK is very diverse in terms of ethnicity. You know, you have a lot of people from the Caribbean, different parts of the Caribbean: Trinidad, Jamaica, Barbados, loads of people from Africa, in Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya. Like every single um, nationality is re- represented in a a country like or a town or city like London. So the reason there were so many pirate stations is because illegal stations is because mainstream media only played white music. It was pop music. It was you know all of that stuff, and they had maybe one or two shows where they had white people playing black music. So for example, Tim Westwood, who's a legend in hip hop radio. He had a show on, on, on a station called Capital. Then he went on to BBC Radio 1. Um, he was the only place that we could hear hip-hop. You had someone like David Rodigan. is the only place you could hear um, reggae music. So what guys like us did is that we, we, we diluted the technology that, the F, that these big stations used. And we were able to now find an apartment or find a house, set up a studio, soundproof it, put equipment in it, set up the transmitter. And then we would jump onto the airwaves with search for an empty space on FM. And in our case at, um, at baseline, we found the frequency 97.9. So we tune our transmitter to 97.9. So if you're driving, there's no difference between you listening to a legal station and listening to a pirate station. So I started my station. And what I did was because I was, um, our frequency was baseline 97.9. I called our station Hot 97 to, to um, mimic the New York Hot 97. So then what I did what really changed the game was I went to New York one time and I sat for a whole weekend in the house with a cassette just recording idents and jingles from Hot 97 in New York and then going back to London and using those same idents and jingles on my station. So all of a sudden... Baseline had this, this sound production that sounded like a, a, a major league, you know, number one radio station. So Hard 97, blazing hip hop and R&B and all of these idents and stuff. So we started to sound really like a real station. And for me, I would in those days, man, because I was the one who was passionate about radio. I would literally sleep in the studio and be correcting guys and say, no, 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 don't say it like that. Say it like this. Don't say it like this. Don't say it like that. So my training in radio started in pirate radio. Um, when BBC One Extra launched and uh, began, 
uh, this would have been, they started talking about it around about 2000. It launched in 2002, but the plans were, 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 were the preceding plans were the years before. And I remember Semtex once again, you know, Semtex was one of the first DJs signed for One Extra. And he said to me, he was like, um, yo, there's this new station starting. You need to be a part of it. You need to do this and that. Because by that time, I'm a household name on pirate radio. So he was like, yo, um, there's this, there's um, Cisco. Cisco was in town and he was throwing a party. So he goes, yo, listen, Cisco's having a party. And the guys that run BBC One Extra, the guys who will run BBC One Extra, they're going to be at this party. So you need to be there. And I was like, okay, cool. So went to the party and then he introduced me to, to the guys who were the program controllers of One Extra. And then the guy was like, oh, G Money, I've heard you. You're on that radio station, isn't it? I'm like, yeah. He goes, all right, cool. I'll reach out. So I was like, wow, okay. Mission accomplished. So he didn't reach out. <laughs> you know, I now know in the industry, you know, like when I was young and someone said they're going to reach out, I used to think they'd actually reach out. But now I know the industry, like, hey, we, it's, it's the equivalent of, of Nairobi. Let's do coffee. It never happens. It's just <laughs> cliche. Nah, it never does. <laughs> it never happens. So, um, you know, I've gone back to my world. I'm in the record shop. I'm doing pirate radio. And one Saturday, I'm in the studio and the phone rings in the office, in the in the shop. And um, the guy says, uh, can I speak to G Money? And I'm like, yeah, speaking. He says, ah, this is Ray from uh, from from BBC One Extra. I'd like you to come and let's have a meeting. Um, he says, by the way, do you like football? I'm like, I love football. And he's like, cool. We might have an opportunity for you on a sports show, but come in and see me. So, yo, I went in and saw him. And uh, I was wearing an Arsenal shirt the day I went in to see him. And he was like, you're an Arsenal fan? I'm like, yeah, he goes, you got the job. Because <laughs> he was a big Arsenal fan as well. That's wild. He's like, he's like you got the job. <laughs> like, he says, you got the job. Oh, man. And, um, and Ray... Um, held our hands, man, and took us onto mainstream radio. And like, you know, I made it out of the hood, bro. Like, that was crazy. Like, you've, you know, that was a very big turning point in, in my life because um, after all these years of wanting to do radio so badly and believing that it was never going to happen, mm. it was never going to happen. You were never going to get that break. Like, you know, don't be, don't be dumb. Like, you're not going to get um, a chance to do what the legends have done. And um, then I, I said goodbye to my pirate station. And like, you know, of course, it's the hood. So a lot of people are happy that you're moving on. A lot of people are sad. Like, why is it him and not me? Like, you know, it's it's the hood. So so I left it behind. And I, I'm one, I think one of my super skills is the ability to just leave stuff behind. Like, I don't get, I don't get attached to anything. I do not, like, I've left houses full of furniture. I don't get attached to things. And I left it all behind. Um, got to one extra, was there for like six years. Initially it was amazing, but then for the last couple of years, I was in a, a on a show that I didn't particularly like. Um, it was well away from DJing, it was well away from sport. It was more 50% news, 50% music. And very randomly, one day I'm in the studio and there's a guy sitting in the corner taking notes. So I thought to myself, okay, here we go. Appraisal time, blah, blah, blah. And um, he was there for like two, three days. And then I said to him, like, yo, like, who are you? And what, like, who are you? 
And he goes, oh, no, no, you know, we're actually starting a radio station in Kenya. So I've come here for some training. So I was like, oh, you're going to start a radio station in Kenya? And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, cool. When you start, give me a call. I'll come and do your breakfast show. I had no intention of, of, of coming to do a breakfast show. I was just, oh, it was just banter. Man. Yeah, it was just that was your I'll get back to you. (laughs) That was I'll get back to you. I'm just being polite. And then when he got back to Kenya, this is DJ John, by the way. Uh, When he got back to Kenya, he starts to email me and I'm like, is this guy crazy? There's no way I'm leaving London. I'd never set foot in an African continent before in my life. Why would I leave England to go to 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 Kenya? I've never and I, you know, I always told this story, my impression of Kenyans was just based upon athletics. Like I was just like, they're just these tall guys who can just run, run forever. <laughs> they just, they always win 10,000 meters, the marathons, the steeplechase. Like I thought that everybody in Kenya looked like athletes. <laughs> wow. I thought everybody in Kenya looked like those athletes. Um, and then he was like, you know, um, we reckon that you, you'd be a great fit. And I was like, okay then get me a flight. Let me come and see Kenya. I've never been to Africa. Let me see what it's like. And I remember Which in my was mind, this? I was, this was 2007, I think 2007. And then he was like, um, cool. He gets me a flight. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, free flight to Kenya, bro. I ain't going to Kenya. I've never been there. I'm on a holiday. So I remember landing at JKA and JKA was very different from what it is now. And I remember um, he picked me up. He was driving a Land Rover Discovery. It refused to start <laughs> at the airport. And I was like, what the, f- what is this? You know, like, how could you pick me up on a Why car I that's come not here? started? Why'd I come then I remember here? it was, it was a like drizzly morning. And um, he sent for someone who they get a taxi or something. He leaves his car at the airport. Um, and I remember driving, and this is old Mombasa Road, not new Mombasa Road. It's like potholes everywhere. There's no sidewalks. And I'm like, I'm like, this is, this is the hood. Like, this is, wow. But then I'm like, I don't care because I'm getting a free holiday. So he comes, um, where did they put me to sleep? They put me to sleep at the Stanley, which at the time was like a big deal. Um, and I'm like, I remember like the, the porter saying, because I'm ready to go out and explore the city. The porter's like, yeah. Don't go down that road. Don't go that road. You could be robbed. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, this is madness. Um, but yeah, I came, spent a couple of days. And then I went back to London and I'm like, hmm. I'm like, wow, well, this is actually an interesting opportunity. But I ain't doing it. And then, you know, I told my friends, my friends, yeah, what are you going to Africa for? You ain't even African. Don't go. You crazy. And I'm like, yeah. And then the more people started to say, don't go, the more I thought about it. And I was like, yo, white people go everywhere. Like, they just go everywhere. They don't care. They go everywhere. Then I was like, you know, if I go to this place and I hate it, see, I'll just go home. There's, there's, not, there's not really a loss. There's not really, I'm not losing. Because if I, if I hate this place, then I'll just go home. So I said, yeah, I'm going to go for six months. No, three months. My friends are like, are you mad? No. Nah. And I'm like, and I started calling my friends and I'm like, yo, I'm giving away all the stuff in my house. And again, I told you, never get attached to everything. And I'm calling my friends and I'm like, yeah, is there anything in the house you want? 
Some people took the TV, some guys took the table, some guys took the sofas. And they're like, you're seriously leaving? I'm like, yep. I remember even I had some Jay-Z um, signed. So Jay-Z is my favorite artist, one of my favorite artists. And he'd signed three albums for me, three of his pivotal albums, The Blueprint, Reasonable Doubt, and The Black Album. He signed all of them in gold markers. So it's like, yo, G Money, and like, those are my prized possessions. I don't even know where they are now. I think my nephew has one of them. I don't know where the other two ended up. Um, so I gave away everything. And um, came out here, October, we launched the station. It's fun. You know, I'm training all of these new presenters. They're all kids. You know, they're all young'uns. Mike Rashira, Corinne, Sheila Rabala. Oh, they're all kids, man. They're like, these guys are like in their early 20s. Quake Yabala. Is now on, um, now she's on Capital. She's a businesswoman. She's, you know, she's a mother. She's an actress. And these are all the kids that we were just uh, training. And then I remember I was so excited for December because I kept on telling my friends in London, yo, Kenya's crazy. It's so hot. It's so warm. And like, I'm getting to December and it's like, yo, I'm in my shorts. And I'm, you know, I'm telling guys, ah, you guys are struggling in the UK. It's, it's, it's um it's really hot in Kenya. So I was looking forward to going to Mombasa. Like I've heard so much about Mombasa. I didn't even know Diani existed, but I just want to go to Mombasa. So December, we're going to Mombasa for an event. What happens? In those days, the elections used to take place in December. What happens? Post-election violence. That was the year when... 207 election was the was the election. Uh, Raila, Ruto, um, all those guys going up against Kibaki. And then Kibaki was sworn in after a few days. You know, you know the story. Um, and then it led to a period of instability, heinous crimes. And I'm caught up in the middle of this as somebody who's on air, has been in the country for three months, has never experienced anything like this. Like, this is the Africa I used to see on TV, coups, revolutions, all this. Like, hey, it was crazy. But by then I'd begun to develop a connection with the audience. And I sat down and said to myself, well, you know, you can go home because, you know, I can get a flight. I can go home and act like Kenya was just a, a glitch in the matrix. But my listeners can't do that. And if I go home now, I can't come back with any level of credibility. If I go now, if I leave in the middle of this post-election violence, I don't have a right to come back when it comes down. So I stayed and um, I stayed and, you know, my grandma was like, what are you doing there? My uncle's, my uncle's blind is like 80 years old. He's calling me from Jamaica. Yo, Conrad, leave the place. <laughs> you know, like everyone's telling me to, to, to just like, what are you doing? My friends are calling me like, why are you there? We're watching this thing on TV. And I'm like, yo, I'm staying, man. So we stayed through it, man. We stayed through it and um, went through all of that. And yeah, here we are all these years later. So that's a long story about how I got here, if that makes sense. I haven't been, yeah. been um, talking too much. No, you've, you've dropped such a wealth of knowledge, um, of wisdom, Dimani. And uh, let me just connect it from where you just left off that mm. relationship with listeners. That's something mm. that you said was important to you mm. over, over the course of your career, whether in on radio, 
whether as a DJ, whether it's live audiences, whether it's through the work that you do with your podcast, how important has that relationship with your listeners' audience been? And to what extent mm-hmm. has it affected your work? More specifically, back to the context that you spoke of, of you being in a situation where you are a foreigner in Kenya, connecting with a Kenyan audience on their very personal situations that you may not mm-hmm. be able to identify with in the context, but there's mm-hmm. an aspect of, from what, you, from what you've spoken about, your upbringing, and the different communities that you've been a part of, for some reason, that mm. was important for you. Could you just expand a bit on that, just cutting across the different industries that you work in? You know, I, I genuinely believe, and, I, and I, always, I always say this all the time, if you, ever, if you work in media and you work in um, the space that I work in, if you ever get lost, just remember the audience. Just remember the audience. Just remember who you're talking to. At least, at least now you're blessed with so many demographics and you can look at the back end of your of your anchor or your spotify account and say that you speak to 57 percent male or 40 percent female or whoever whatever if you ever get lost everything goes back to the audience everything goes back to the audience everything goes back to the audience um i learned that on pirate radio i learned on pirate radio because you have this person who calls you every day this person who calls you every day, like every day. And it's like, you know, when they're going through bad stuff, they're calling you. When they're going through good stuff, they're calling you, you know? Um, I, I'll give you an example. I have a friend who works for Safaricom uh, in the call centers. And he said to me the other day, he goes, yo, gee, let me tell you, bro. You have no idea some of the calls that we get. He goes, we get calls from people who want to kill themselves. And they can't think of anybody else to call at that moment. We get phone calls from people who are so um, um, are so lost and so weary and so they don't know what to call it. They call a Safaricom call center. It's, it's, it's crazy. And the more we go into life, the more you realize that we are all we have. There are people who have listened to this, my show for for 15 years in Kenya, like when I see them now, we're like these, these are the kids who are fresh out of uni or going to uni then. Now I see, I meet them in, in boardrooms. I meet them at pitches. I meet them, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate enough to sit sometimes in some spaces where I'm promoting the good company. And those are the guys who are making decisions now. You know, those are the, I walk into a pitch and I'm like, hey, you're here now. And I'm like, okay. If I'd been an asshole to you like 15 years ago, I wouldn't be in this room. Then I'm trying to say, so it's one of those ones where people, we are all we have. And I know it's hard and I know it's very idealistic and all that stuff, but I still believe in the innate goodness of people. And I believe that because I have that belief, that is why so many good people have, I've been drawn to so many good people. I've got really good, very small, very good circle of friends who are just amazing. And even friends there, they're my brothers and my sisters, you know. So the people are very important, man. If you're working in media and you ever lose sight of who you are, never forget. Just circle back to the audience. Wow. We, we oftentimes get so much love 
and and support from like one or two people who you know diehard listeners of the podcast when we drop an episode they're the first to like like it and comment and you know just as you're speaking they come to mind and you know, sometimes when we feel like we're not reaching anyone or, you know, our voice is being lost in, in the ether of the internet, mm. you know, those, those are the people who really keep us grounded. And, and for real, sometimes, sometimes after we record an episode, the first thought is like, hmm, what, what will, you know, so-and-so X, think y, Z, about, about Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, just, just being there for those people, and you know, seeing how we can also help, um, be it you know, if someone DMs and has a question or like wants to know something, you know, just an, an attitude that this podcast has, you know, helped all of us cultivate is, you know, just just being the plug, right? Someone someone's mm. figuring out, hey, I want to break into X Y Z industry, you know, plug them, plug them here, plug them there. Um, I, I'm starting to find that when a lot of my peers need. Um, help or advice or need somewhere to go to um for example recently one of one of my friends he's building a, a, a healthcare startup and you know he needed to talk to someone who's in ai and you know wanted an intro to someone who we previously spoke to who's an ai mm. expert you know um making those small connections here there where like literally it's changing his business and it's giving him so many opportunities and it's just a small connection that you know for you that's one email but mm. you know to this person exactly. that's that's like everything huge in that moment and, yeah it's it's yeah. It, it's a paid Simple. forward attitude um and and i noticed yeah. i noticed recently that's something that's been ever so deeply grounded and you you do have a blog where you you write now and then and uh <laughs> wow. and, and there's there's a crazy photo here of like you on a hospital bed uh you know it it just looks crazy and mm-hmm. uh, you wrote here about a war that has no winner and uh you know right. basically you were yeah i mean like so covid came wow. you got covid and you know it was one of those things where it was really bad right hospitalized mm-hmm. everything and you know, reading this, it sounds like you just had a crazy near-death experience and a mm. renewed appreciation for life, um, a new vigor for like just getting at it. You only live once. W- walk us through that and 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 how it's shaped how you think now. Because I um, mean, as much as you've had an awesome backstory, like this story keeps going. Like this was recent. This is what, 20, right, right. 2020? Yeah. Right. 2020 thereabouts Mm. um i think for me it's like i always um divide divide this phase of life into pre and post falling ill because i think that you know sometimes when you go through something like that it changes your your outlook on so many things um specifically it changes your outlook on life obviously because I think there's a there's a part of us that goes through life that it's just um we feel invincible, you know? We feel invincible. Like, you know, when we we see or hear about people getting sick, it's always somebody else. It's 
it's never us. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so when I felt sick, it was, it was a defining moment in life because it was like, damn, I'm in hospital. Like, I'm in hospital. I don't know why I feel as weak as I do. I don't know why it hurts to breathe. I don't know. I don't know any of that. I don't know why I've got these pains in my chest. I just know. I just know. I just know that I'm in this room in Nairobi, Kenya, with doctors rushing around. And I think for me, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget. Like I remember Grouchy um, came to see me in hospital. DJ Grouchy, because he was well, still does. He's working with us. I remember Grouchy walking into the room, and I remember seeing the absolute look of horror on his face, and I'm like. Shit. Okay, this is serious. Um, it was the most humbling experience. It was the most humbling experience because I've gone through life. I've been blessed enough to go through life at my own pace, surrounding myself with the people who I like, surrounding myself with, with my own core. But for the first time now, your life depends on these people who are around you. You know, um, your life de depends on Dr. Hassan Ali. You know, your life depends on on the nurse remembering, like like coming in and giving you some tramadol if the pain's too bad at night. You know, it was it was a very humbling experience. It was it was super humbling, like life changing. You know, and then in the midst of all that, there's someone who's who mops the floors in the hospital who comes and says, "Hey, gee, I listened to your podcast." You know, it's it's. It's crazy, like absolutely crazy, man. And when I wrote the article, when I wrote that, funny enough, you you mentioned that article. When I wrote the article, I was so angry, man. I was so angry. I was like, why me? Like me? Why me? Like after like I've lived my life so right. Why? Why me? I felt sorry for myself. And again, Semtex, Semtex um calls me after he reads, DJ Semtex calls me after he reads the article and he's like, yo, gee, so what? <laughs> he's, a, he's from Manchester. So, you know, Manchester's, Mancunians, they don't mince words. They don't, he's like, gee, so what? You got sick and then you're getting better. So what? Like, like you feel sorry for yourself. No one gives a fuck. Like, <laughs> you know, you got to get over it. G. You got to get over it. You feel How did you feel when he was telling you this? Um, what was going through your mind when this when yeah when he was saying this like someone who's you known know, for Sem so long yeah. Semtex is so like in my life there's been three moments when he said things to me that have really changed um how I felt in that moment and in that moment I was like you know what he's got a point the point is you're still here so don't wallow wallow in this in this in this why me yeah it was you move on what next. And um, I remember when I got out of the hospital, my, my neighbor said to me, she said to me, she was like, yo, gee. She goes, you're going to look back at this and see the silver lining one day, you know? And every day I remember the silver lining is I became a completely different person, you know? My energy changed. The things that I, I, I started to, to um, just appreciate. I've always been appreciative and grateful. But I, my gratitude just skyrocketed it because it's like you went to the edge, you know? You went to the edge and you went through something that 
most people just didn't, don't, you know, my doctor, a pal of mine is a doctor in the States. And I told him what had happened because I had a bilateral pulmonary embolism, which is basically blood clots, two of them in my lungs. You know, if, if you know biology, your lungs are like four entries or whatever it is. And two of mine were like semi-blocked. And he said to me, oh, gee, you know what? Real, realistically, we usually find this in the autopsy. Think about that. And I'm like, oh, wow. And then the week after there was an OCS, uh, a police officer uh, from Karen who collapsed in Upper Hill. She's gone for a function. She collapsed and died at the function. She had the same thing that I had. And I'm like, okay, there's more work to be done. You know, there's this, this, this is, this is bad, but yo, you're still here. So I'd say the 18 months after coming out of hospital, I took, took time. You know, I didn't get stressed about anything like, you know, and if yeah, I just calmed down, man. And I just calmed down, not calmed down because of, because of um, fear or anything, but I just allowed myself to heal. You know, I was on drugs for a good year and a half after, after, um, after the incident, you know, blood thinners and stuff. So I just calmed down. I slowed down. I, I, I found myself, you know. And I found this level where I am now where it's a much more sensitive, it's a much more honest place. It's a much more forgiving place, you know, like I, I forgive myself a lot more. Like, you know, as you mentioned, I, you know, holding yourself to high standards is a gift and a curse. And I, you know, I, I used to drive myself to the point of exhaustion because I want this thing to be perfect. And, why can't? And now I give myself some slack. And like, even I had an event over the weekend and everyone had a great time at this event. Everyone was like, oh, dude, there's a thousand people. And I found myself falling into that space of like, you have a successful, a successful event, but man, this security point could have been better. The tags should have been this. I'd have done that. I'd have done this. And everyone is like, yo, bro, be in the moment and recognize that the thousand people who are in this place have had an amazing time. And you're sitting there worrying about the things that could have been better and whether or not this security guy, you know, and why the VIP had as many people in there. And I'm like, yo, like, come on, G. Like, come on. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect event. So, you know, when I find myself going into those spaces, it doesn't mean that I, I love excellence any less because I'll tell you one thing. I do believe, I genuinely believe that if you're going to do something, do it to the best of your ability, man. Don't half ass. I, I hate half half ass. Do you swear on your podcast? But I hate half ass. We do. Yeah, go ahead. I hate half ass shit. Like, fam, if you're gonna do something, man, do it. Like, bro, who wants? Who, like, uh, there's a friend of mine who passed away. Again, another life changing moment. Guy successful in the music industry signed so many artists in the UK. Put on so many people. Went to bed one day, didn't wake up. Sudden adult death syndrome. And his name was Richard Antwi, very famous music lawyer. Very like, in fact, when I came to Kenya, I remember Richie gave me 1,500 pounds and he was like, yo, you don't know what you're going to meet out there. Just stay safe, my G. And he gave me 1,500 pounds. This is 2007. That's like probably five grand now. That's like probably 500,000 shillings. And um, Richie was one, of my, was one of my anchors in life, you know, like, when Kenya was stressful, you know, you get onto, it, it was Skype in those days or FaceTime. Um, 
and you and Richie just chop it up and then Rich passed away. Sudden adult death syndrome. When it affects what, one in 100,000 people? Went to bed, didn't wake up. Simple, that's it. And Rich, there's a couple things that I always talk about Richie. Richie, three things actually. Richie said to me, success without sharing is failure. Meaning that what is the point of doing all of this stuff if you don't share it? What is the point of having all of this stuff if you don't share it? What's the point of having all of this ability, all of this access, all of this privilege if you don't share it? Richie was like, success without sharing is failure. Um, you know, to this day in the Def Jam office in the UK, there's a plaque that says, how can I help you? Because Richie was that person where you'd go to him with a dream or a vision and he'd say, all right, sounds great. Okay, how can I help you? You know, you know what I mean? Like, as in, how can I help you? Like, how can I help you to achieve this? You know? And the third thing with Richie was, Richie would be like, who wakes up and wants to come second? Like, who wakes up? Like, I, I don't get up in the morning and be, I, I want to be the second best version of myself. I don't wake up in the morning and like, you know, I don't, why would I wake up in the morning and want to be the second best version of myself? I want to be the first best. That's, huh? a, that's a tweet. Yeah, who wakes up, you know, I'm going to tweet that and wants right to come now. second? <laughs> Tag me. <laughs> yeah, who wakes up and wants to come second? Like, da, you know. Um, Rich, and even Rich32, who's an artist in the UK, he actually did a freestyle where he says, Rich said, who wakes up and really wants to come second? Man, that was awesome. the maddest freestyle ever. On, you was, it, that, was it the one on One oh, Extra? Yeah, Charlie, Charlie, Fire in the Booth. Oh, best friend yeah. in the booth. So then now, so now you have the context because Richie was the guy who signed Rich32. So all of his hits like Tractor and Don't Go and Six Words were all done on Rick, Richie's record label. So when he says, Rich said, who wakes up and, and really wants to come second, counting on my brother, had me counting all my blessings. Have you ever met someone who came with the intention to basically like say, uh, to, to bring you that freestyle? Oh man, that freestyle was so deep. Who, have you ever met someone whose job is just to make you, a bet, make you better? You know, and um, yeah, that was rich. So if you have, if you want, if you want some context, it was a Charlie Sloth uh, freestyle. It was um, Rich Thirty Two is wearing an Arsenal shirt, and he began his halfway through the freestyle. He says, "Rich said, who wakes up and really wants to come second? Counting on my brother." And it's like if you knew Richie, like I don't think there could have been a fit a, a more apt um tribute in music. You know what I mean? So yeah, so yeah. That's that's that that's the thing, man. Like so positive energy, good people, and um, and just trying to do this thing called life, and yeah, it changes yeah. you when you go through like um a health scare, but at the same time, it's like um, the the silver lining is that it makes you realize that you're human. Yeah. You know? Thank you so much for for being vulnerable with us here on the podcast, Jimani. We're we're almost at time, but I think I'd be remiss if I didn't point out the fact that you know, the very few conversations that we have or that I have, you know, whether on the podcast, whether, you know, in the different circles that I'm in, the very few conversations that challenge the relationship that I have with myself. And I think that's one right, of the biggest right. things that, that you've done for us, uh, for me here on the podcast. And, you know, we've looked at all of these different seasons of your life, right? 
whether this was childhood, early 20s, you know, your career trajectory coming to Kenya. You know, we haven't gone too deep into, into some of the other areas, but I think as a final question, G, how would you describe the season of life that you're currently in now? And what are some things that are exciting you about your future, right? You know, I'm so, you know, I'm so glad you asked that question. Yeah, I'm go ahead. So glad I wouldn't even give any context. Take it, take it. I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because I'm loving this season of life. Oh my goodness. As an Arsenal um, fan, I mean, you can say that. As an Arsenal fan, I can say that. Uh, all right, you know, funnily enough, it's like I'm old enough to remember the Invincibles and my team winning stuff. So I don't have the angst of modern Arsenal fans who have never seen their team win stuff. Um, but even if you use Arsenal as an, as, an, as an analogy, last season, they couldn't make top four. They choked at the final stages of the season, just as top four was, was apparent. This year, they've choked. They've made top four, but they've choked at the final hurdle of becoming Premier League champions. Sometimes I think that we don't see the progress in our own lives because the prize that we set ourselves um, is so huge and so and so so in front of us that we don't see the progress. The fact of the matter is, it's like end of the day, um, Arsenal didn't get top four last season, but this season they weren't they're, they're second. Next season, who knows what that holds? I look at it from this perspective. It's like your podcast when you were using crazy microphones, you listen back and you cringe to those episodes. But now you listen to your, your production and you're like, our oh, podcast is so clean. A year or two ago when I met Yuri and Yuri came to the house, um, a year later or so, we're sitting here on his podcast, his production. You see, we don't look at the progress. We look at the prize. It's a cliche to say respect the process, but if we don't respect the process, how can we get to where we want to go? So, so um, I'm not that Arsenal fan yet, and I talk a lot about Arsenal. And I've I've become a meme, um, but I work on radio. It's a show. It's like I'm supposed to say stuff like I'm gonna shave off my beard if Arsenal don't win. I'm supposed to say stuff like that because I'm a radio presenter. I'm a personality. Um, so so yeah. So the season of my life that I'm in right now is one where there's no rules. There's no rules. There's no there zero rules. Like as in, I wake up and I go to work because I enjoy work. But if I don't enjoy work, I quit. Um, I go. I I wake up. I have this creative hub that I've I've put together where we have our studios and you know seeing the Grouchy, seeing the Calvin, seeing the the Andes, the football guys uh, doing their thing. And then thinking about how can I put, how can I help these guys to monetize? And how can I help these, how can I put these guys on, you know, turn around and do an event because I feel like doing an event. And then the event, the event being so successful that everyone is like, okay, cool. Now we have to do this every three months. It's a season of no rules. It's a season of, of, um, of not waiting. You know, it's a season of, Oh man, I'm I'm that financially prudent guy, and I'd be like, man, before I buy that 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 MacBook or or I, or I change my car, or I do this like I'm doing all the mathematics in my head, and I still do, and I'm still responsible like that. But guess what? If I want the M2 MacBook, I'm gonna buy it today. That's the season that I'm in right now, 
And that's not, that's not a rich season. That's a season of abundance. I'm in, I'm in a season of abundance, bro. I'm in, I am thinking abundantly, living abundantly. Um, and my most successful period financially in my life, I won't say my entire life, but in this phase of my life, has come since I've been sick. Since I stopped chasing, since I stopped running it all down, that's when the money has come. So I'm in, I'm in a season of no rules, bro. I'm in a season of, of just doing life, man. Because, like, what is the price? Is the price to get to 70 and look back and be like, oh, I have all this money, or I built all these houses, or I did all of that. What, what is the price? Or is the price to live? Like, I'm only taking from life the things that I need. And people, that is such a powerful statement. I'm only taking from life the things that I need. I don't like that's it. In the same way you wake up and you don't worry about your heart beating. You don't worry about taking a breath. The important things that can cease you, you cease your existence. I am only taking from life the things that I need. That's it. It's a beautiful place to be. Man, only taking from life the things we need to live. Aish, dude, I mean, like, I think you should write a book. <laughs> I've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah, this I've is this before. is your confirmation. Because um mm. yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I, a lot I, of us get we get stuck in that process of uh of perfection and um yeah it, it, it's it, it's it's just a bit it, it's a bit crazy. Um but uh yeah. it's interesting. My dad, my dad, my dad was talking to me the other day, and um, you know, I was just filling him in on my stage of life, et cetera. And, you know, I've, I've reached, I've reached a point where, you know, I, I just want to do excellent stuff and just mm. excel in it, you know? That's so um, picking, it. picking the what, right. It's like, oh, these options, you know, I could either do this, I could go into this, I could do this, I could build this, I have this idea. And, um, you know, one of the things there is that perfection is what, is or rather that needs to have a perfect route charted well it can um, slow you down de risk it can slow you like, down exactly and so my, my dad said something very profound he said um he said perfection is actually the fear of man right that right. thing of I, i'm so scared of what pe how people receive this thing that i've put out into the world or i'm i'm afraid of how um, what people will think of me of making a certain decision and he said that you know alternatively we need to strive for excellence which mm. is a sense of gratitude and and honor to god who has given us a gift right so that thing of stewardship that's what excellence is and perfection on the other hand is what we need to avoid which is the fear of man mm. you know so right right um, no, no, no. I, I, I agreed. I agreed. And it's a very sage um, advice. That's very sage advice because um, mm. if you if you keep striving just for an ideal, you're gonna get tired. You know, just live. This can't always be ideal. Exactly. So live, live, live for excellence, for self excellence, for yeah, for 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 yeah. for achieving and creating that mm. level of of um, you know, give the best you have. The best that for you sure. have is different from the best that Boniface would have or Yuri would have. 
there's different yeah. levels, you know. So so just try yeah. for the best that you can do and, and continually evolve. It's it's gradual, it's it's incremental, it's like going to the gym, it's like you don't see it all immediately, but after a while yeah. you start to feel different, mm. you know. So yeah, mm. it's some good advice from your dad, man. G Money, this right. this has been fantastic. And um we've got a final segment that we do with all of our guests. It's called the elevator segment. So okay. pic- picture this, right? We've just finished our chat. Um, everything has gone well in the ele- I mean, in the in the boardroom. We've talked, we've had our chat. Um, and now you're walking out, right? Walking towards mm. the elevator. One of our really eager interns holds the door just at the last minute and jumps in with you because they've got a bunch of quick questions. But hey, you don't have all the time in the world. So are you ready to hop into the elevator and answer some quick fire questions? I'm ready. Uh, get in before the doors close. Yep, we're in. So first question is, if you're to put up a billboard in the busiest street in Nairobi of your choice, and you could write anything on that billboard, like people are going to read it, people are going to pass by it and be impressioned upon. What, what would you write on that billboard? I would write, I am here and so are you. So now, question mark, in big write in big like I am here and so are you so now because the reason I'd write that is because I can imagine myself driving and reading that and I'm thinking to myself what is this about yeah like, what is it like <laughs> what is like I am here and so are you so now you know Kenyan, that's a such Kenyanese so now yeah so I think now. that I think I think that would that would be the start of a campaign for a product but that right. I would just use that I don't know what it, I don't know why that's just come to me but that's what I would um I do. That's awesome. Second question. If you were to drive one car for the rest of your life, like pick, pick, pick one car today, you buy it, you can never change it out. You'll service it. It'll take good care of you till you're old and cannot drive anymore. Pick, pick one car. That's easy. X5, BMW X5. Yeah, and the reason I say X5 is uh, I've, I, I'm a BMW guy. I currently have a five series. Um, nice. I think for me, the pleasure you get from drive, like you know, Mercedes are more fancy inside and like lights and whistles and interior design, but sure. BMWs are for people who like to drive. Mm. Like they are drivers. They drive. They're the car for drivers, and they they give. It's like. It's like, you know, when you go to a hotel or you go to a restaurant and there's so much stuff on the on the menu, yes. fancy stuff and this and that, but yes. there's a really good steak. Yeah, oh. the BMW is the, is the really good thing. <laughs> yeah. I love it. X5, that's my I next like that analogy. I like that analogy. I'm not a car, mm. car fanatic. I think Sean... Sean and you just clicked on that. Oh, yeah. Um, no, G-Money, we're, we're going to go on a road trip. Okay. There yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's do that. <laughs> last last two questions, Jumani. The first one: if you could change anything about the way you were raised, what would it be? Wow. Okay, let me give you an honest answer. Um, I would have liked to have had a relationship with my dad. 
Um, I didn't. Uh, my, you know, my mom passing away. The only parent I ever knew was my grandmother. And, um, and, you know, she did the best she can. She did an amazing job. But, you know, like, like just earlier, even when Sean was like, you know, I had a conversation with my dad and he said, um, he said that, you know, pursue excellence, not perfection. And I listened to that question and I thought to myself, man, that's so solid. And I, I've never had that sounding board, that male sounding board of like, like, dad, this is happening or, or dad, what do you think? Or yeah, yeah. As much as I make light of it, I really would have loved to have had a relationship with my father. Thanks for sharing that, Jay. Thanks for sharing that. I don't um, think I've ever said that. I, yeah. usually, I usually joke about it, but you know, I'm on a serious podcast, so let me give you some <laughs> Hey, yo. First time premiere on Boardroom Banter. Oh, Boardroom Banter. There you no, go, man. Yeah. yeah. That means a lot to us, Jimani. No worries, bro. Last question, yeah. Mm. Um, a lot of serious podcasts ask people, you know, what's the best advice you give to a community of listeners who are in their 20s and college trying to navigate life? But, you know, we're not a very serious podcast, as you think. So, so our question is, what's the worst advice that you would advise someone never to take? As you wrap um, it up. That you advise someone never to take? Right. My worst advice for someone is advice that never to take. Go out there and be a serial cheater. Don't invest in relationships. <laughs> Never take that advice. <laughs> yeah. Why do you say that, G? Wild. <laughs> because I think I think that you know we live in a society now, and I'm you know just as we wrap, I think that it's important for us for for you guys to know this, right? Society as it is right now, society as it is right now, is so good at setting standards that are not realistic. So good at your standards in your life to be dictated by people to um, by people who really and truly should have no place in your life. So for example, it's like, um, you know, it's cool to, you shouldn't be a simp, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. You should never invest time in a woman, you should never invest time in relationships, you should just focus on yourself, kings, all this stuff. Bro, let me tell you something. A time will come in your life where you'll look around and you'll say to yourself, wow, here I am with all of this stuff. I focused on myself, King. I didn't commit to anything or anybody or anything. And here I am in this, this place with this mountain of things. But I'm here on my own. And I'll get you back to the point. As Richie said, success with no one to share it with is failure. So I would say, Find your people, man. Find your tribe. Find your, find your people. Don't, don't, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's, it's, it's not, it's okay to fall in love. It's okay to, 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 to have that special person. It's okay. It's actually okay. It doesn't make you a simp. It doesn't make you any less of a man. It doesn't make you anything, you know, because as Drake said in um, one of his songs from time with Gene Ico, his mom is 66, and who the hell wants to be 70 and alone? You know what I mean? So, so I invest in time. 
people and there's nothing wrong with like you know having those those good moments with people who who you can build a life with i know it's not cool to say that and most people are on this 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 no 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 people it's still cool to be in love you guys heard it first from g money himself <laughs> yeah do as i say not as i do yeah. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah man that's what it is that's what it is Oh man this this has been fantastic I've been G-Money, it, been you know it. man when when we thought about this episode I mean you know we wanted to get nerdy about industry we wanted to get nerdy about um you, you know the mechanics of success mm. in entertainment in digital media this but I mean you know the way this has spoken about life I mean we've talked about the important things you know if we don't have this as a foundation we could mm. build and take things nowhere and have no one exactly. to share these things with you know so, exactly man you success really um, yeah success with no one success to share no with one this to share failure. with this failure there Dude, you go. i mean i'm going to make a poster and just like make that my <laughs> screensaver your mantra put it out there man put it out there man these youngins need to know that man they need to know it um a, a lot of us don't uh, yeah th- there's a lot of misguiding in, in in popular culture and i guess that's mm. that's what goes viral you know that's what people want to click on you know the the stories of who which scandal this that you know the, that is able to build notoriety and go viral exactly like, we don't hear and about the not- guy who like was loyal and has this awesome relationship and you know now is expecting a kid and is like the happiest moment of his life you know but we want to hear about this guy was cheating he was caught in mombasa with who and who and this and yeah, yeah. so i mean it's, you it's you, actually yeah it's not, no it's nonsense bro it's a lot of noise there's a lot of noise out there for for you guys to navigate so just just do what you can man just yeah you know do what you can invest in good people um good times and i think that's the yeah. advice that you don't really hear from from people, you know? Yeah. Thank I never so much like, G-Money. Like, yeah, yeah man, no worries, my G. Mm, this has been fantastic. Uh, to anyone who's no, listening did, to this. When does it go out? Nah, it's going out ASAP. This is top top priority. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I look forward to hearing it, man. Yeah. So everyone who's listening, ladies and gentlemen, G-Money, we've had the awesome privilege of having him on. If you've stayed on this long, Guys, shout out to you. And we hope that this conversation has inspired you. We hope that, yeah, it's at least given you a new perspective. And above all, you've gotten to hear the story and journey of one of the movers and shakers of our society. So once again, thank you so much, G-Money. Um, anyone, anyone with a phone, anyone with a laptop, I mean... Just Google the guy and go down a G-Money rabbit hole and, you know, consume all of his content. Um, G-Money has a lot of wisdom. Dude, you you need to write more blog posts. I, I need mean, to write I, more. I need to write yeah, more. Yeah. I do. Um, I, I know that. I, I, I enjoyed reading that. them on, on, on your page. So thank you, man. Yeah. Um, listeners, yeah. thank you so much for joining us today. If this is the first time joining the Boardroom Banter podcast, welcome. And if it's not, 
you know what to do. Look out for our episodes. We release our guest episodes just like this one every Tuesday. And we have Founder Friday episodes where Boniface, Yuri, and myself, Sean, we sit down and yeah, we deconstruct some of the episodes that we've had, guests we've talked to, experiences that we've had. So Tuesdays and Fridays, look out for our episodes. We've been super consistent and so have you. So we're grateful for your support. And above all, I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode and see you guys on the flip side.